All right, so one of the things, uh, so last week, Luke speaked, uh, speaked? <laughs> I don't know if I can speak this morning, um, but uh, Luke spoke, there we go, Luke spoke about obedience. It's not always, I think, the funnest topic maybe to, to it, it might make somebody a little nervous to speak on that topic, right? Because maybe we have the stereotypes of, you know, when talking about obedience, some guy standing up here wagging his finger at everybody and, you know, like, but that wasn't what it was at all, was it? If you were here last week, you heard Luke's sermon on obedience and it was really good. And I, I, hope, I hope that if you didn't hear it, you, you take the time to go back and listen to it because it is a foundation really moving forward for the next three weeks. This idea that, that God calls us to obedience. And one of the things that I think is important to see is that when the Bible speaks about obedience, again, it's not just rules for rules' sake, but rather boundaries so that we may experience the life that God has for us. And not just, not just in boundaries in a negative way, but in a positive way. Like this is how you should live in order to be the hands and the feet of God on earth, to be his representatives, to be his image bearers. This is what God is like. This is how you should live. And so I think maybe sometimes we need to kind of twist our understanding a bit of when we hear that word obedience, to not see it in a negative light. And I think Luke did a good job of this, to not see it in a negative light, but rather to see it in a positive light. Obedience is how we become the people who love God rightly, who know him, who experience him. This is not a, a cold, hard obedience, but a loving obedience, a relational obedience. And so that's really what, what Luke talked about last week. So like I said, I would encourage you uh, to listen to that. But this week, we're talking about then, how do we obey, right? How do we become people who obey, right? How do we become people who, who love rightly, who do rightly? And so the kind of the next three weeks, the metric we're going to look at is, is ritual or, or habit. That's what we're looking at this week. Uh, next week is going to be about story. And the final week will be about song, singing, and the power of, uh, formative power of, of singing. So that's kind of where we're, where we're going uh, the next couple of, of weeks. Now, when we start talking about, you know, obedience and rituals and habits, maybe all of a sudden you start to get a little, feel a little funny in your chair, right? You know, you start going like, oh, hold on, what are, we in, what are we in for here? And I think we've been conditioned to think this way, right? Religions just want to control us or, you know, like that's kind of, I think, some of the narratives that we hear often uh, as we, you know, wherever we go. This, this idea that like freedom comes from breaking, breaking away from all of these constraints and living however you want to live. Or as, as one artist uh, put it uh, in a song, he's very critical, I think, of, of religious brainwashing. He, he yells out, they fixed your brain when you were young. They fixed it. They fixed it before you knew the difference. And I think sometimes religion or, you know, in Christianity, particularly in places like Ireland, uh, where, where Christendom, where Christianity has always been present for a very, very long time, that gets aimed at the Christian faith. And to say, they're just trying to fix people's brains when they're young and like, you know, get them to think a certain way and that's the wrong way or that we can have, we can live. That's kind of like, I feel like maybe, and maybe it's just me, but that's sort of the world we swim in, isn't it? With those sorts of ideas about 
religion. The problem is, is that you can't help but be brainwashed. If you want to put it in the waves of that, of, of the artist there. We are all being formed. We are all becoming someone. We, are, we all have habits. We all have rituals. We all have songs that we sing that form us. We all have these things, these stories that we believe. The question is whether they're in, how intentional we are about how we cultivate those things and then about who, we're, who are we becoming then. All people have their brains fixed when they were young. That's the reality, I think, is that we are so impressionable when we are young that if you had a very difficult upbringing, a very easy upbringing, if you had a religious upbringing, a very non-religious upbringing, all of those things shape who we are and they become baggage that we carry with us for the rest of our lives. All of us are being formed and by ideologies and ways of understanding the world. So it's simply inevitable that all of us are going to be educated into a way of being or existing in the world. Now, I hope I'm not getting like already too high and philosophical here. All that to say, everything that you've experienced, everything, all the things that have been said to you, the, the habits and the rituals that you've gotten into in your life or that have been given to you or handed to you, shape who you become. And most of it, I, would very, fair, I think it's fair to say, the vast majority of it on our part is unintentional. But those same people who are saying religions brainwash you, I think are very intentionally doing the exact same thing. And so really, it's just a matter of what are we going to do about it? This is a, a wide-ranging thing. Scripture, though, I think interestingly, I feel like admits this, like owns it. Whereas other places want to say, no, 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 we wouldn't do that. You just live however you, you want to live. You do whatever you want. But interestingly, we all kind of look similar and do the same things. And you know, we all book our holidays to Tenerife. We all, uh, you know, or Spain or whatever. You know, we all buy the same, you know, similar styles and fashions and all this. So we're all living our unique lives looking like everybody else. But they're not, they're not doing this sort of thing. But no, I think the Bible actually owns it, right? There's passages like Proverbs 22.6. Maybe you're familiar with this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. At least the Bible doesn't pretend. Like it just owns it and says, you know what? It's really important, the habits and the rituals and the things that we are given as children and that we give to children, that we give to one another. It's important because it forms who we become. And all of this, I think, is really relevant as we talk about habits and as we dive in then to Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at how Moses in his sermon, how Deuteronomy, uh, I guess, in, in, encourages us to develop habits that lead us to be the kind people who love God rightly. All right, so Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. We can read uh, chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. Actually, let's just start at, at, at uh, verse 4. All right? At verse 4. Now, your translation may say here. If you're using the New Living Translation, it will say listen. 
same word. Okay, like that they, when the when the Hebrew speaks of hear or listen, they're synonymous with one another, right? It's the idea. It's not, it's not just going in one ear and out the other, but you're actually listening, right? Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road. When you are going to bed and when you are getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if we take that passage literally, we're going to do some weird stuff. Um, but... Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest this morning that we wear a box on our forehead. Um, but rather, I think this gives us some principles and some, some guidelines for how we go about forming our lives and the lives of others. So again, coming back to this, whether intentional or not, you are being formed and trained into a person who loves. Okay, you are. And as I said, the only real question really then is, what am I being trained or what am I training to love? And then how do I love rightly? So it really comes down to a question of what do I love? Because Deuteronomy, right, like here in verse 4, says that you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And I think this is a, this is a question then. If I'm being trained or, or like to love, how am I being trained to love? How do I, as a person, love? And I'm not just talking about religious love. Or, or I'm just saying, in general, what Deuteronomy here is not talking about is the mushy feeling of love. But it's what do I give my attention to? What do I give my service to? What do I get? What do I put the most time into doing? Okay? So that's what it's saying. It's saying, so all of those things, we are being trained in our world to love certain things, right? There's lots of different things, and we could probably sit here and name them, but we don't want to be here that long. But just to say, maybe in your own mind, maybe make a mental list. This would be something to do later. What are the things that our culture trains us to love? What are the things that I am being trained to love? To actually think critically about that rather than to just walk through the world assuming I'm living as my own free person. How do we love? Well, Deuteronomy says that we love as people with our heart and soul. Right? And later, right, when Jesus quotes this, he's going to say, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's going to add in mind. Well, why does mind get added back in there? Because by the time of Jesus, there was a differentiation between love and mind. But when this was written, there wasn't. They didn't have this idea that you think with your brain and you have emotions with your heart. But rather, when Moses was, was preaching this sermon, it was different. The heart was the center of all of those things. It was, it was your brain. It was like how you thought critically about things. It had to do with the emotions and how you felt. So it, it, it carried that as well. 
And your soul had to do with like your whole person, who you are as a whole person. So you think about that. We actually still, in some ways, use this like, I suppose, you know, how many souls were lost at sea, you know, or that, that sort of thing, right? It's not, it's not talking about some disembodied thing, but rather it's using one thing to speak about the whole. I can't remember the actual word for that. Um, there's, a fun, there's a fun word for that uh, when you use like one thing as a whole. Um, does anybody know it, actually? Okay, well, we won't get our fun fact for the day. Okay, uh, so, so anyway, that's, that's what's happening here. So they use that word soul like that. It meant, it's nephesh. It's actually the word for your throat as well. It can mean throat. So uh, when you read in the Psalms, like, um, my, my soul thirsts for you, right? It's the word nephesh, which actually also means throat, which when you're thinking about it in poetic, poetic terms, is a really, a really interesting turn of, of words to use nephesh there, right? My soul, my whole being, my throat thirsts for you. All right, so that's what we have. We have this idea of, of heart and soul. And so to love God with all of our heart and soul means then with our whole self, including our rational capabilities, including our, our mental capacity, our moral choices, our will, our inner feelings and desires, the deepest roots of our life. We are to love God like that. But again, the, uh, it goes, he goes on to say, though, it doesn't just say, with all of your heart and soul. He says, and with all your strength. Right? So strength is the most common way to translate this word. But again, Hebrew words are one of those because they have a small, much smaller vocabulary than we do. Words carry much more meaning. And so within this word... It carries the meaning of like your substance and your possessions. So yes, it also means your strength, but I think it's helpful then to think about too, like your substance, your possessions. And so um, Christopher Wright, uh, he translates it, translates it this way. Sorry, sometimes I get excited and get ahead of myself. Uh, he translates it this way. Love the Lord your God with total commitment, with your total self, to total excess. That is what you and I are called to do. And yet we know, we're at least, okay, I'm not going to say we, I'm just going to say me, because I know from me, I'm not all that great at it a lot of the time. Do I all the time love God with total commitment, with my total self to total excess? No, I don't, but I want to, <laughs> and I hope you do too. I hope you want to. Instead, so often, I give myself to other things. I love other things instead of God. So what do we love? Are we loving rightly? Or do our heart and soul tell a different picture through our habits? And this is one of the things I think is a great way to know. Are we loving God really with our heart and soul? It's to look at our habits. It's to look at the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we say. Our habits, got another slide, getting crazy here. Okay, our habits speak down to our loves and they form them. But conversely, our loves speak to our habits. Our loves form our habits and thus who we become. 
And I think this is, this is really important in understanding. That there is, these are, it's not like a completely linear thing, but instead it's a constant back and forth thing. The habits that we are predisposed to, the habits in our lives shape who we are, who we become. They shape the things that we love, the things that we think are most important, the things in our life that we would give anything to do, the things in our life that we would give anything for. Our habits will show us often what those things are. But at the same time, when we deliberately begin to form new habits, it actually has a way to speak down again into our heart and into our soul, into the very core of our being in a way that just an intellectual lecture like this cannot do. An intellectual lecture can speak to our intellect, right? Which is important. We need to say, yes, I believe certain things, but more than just believing them, we need to be people who do certain things. And it's not just, it's not to earn anything, but it's because we are whole body people and that actually one of the ways we become who we are is by what we do. And so our habits will help us to see what are the things that we really love. Right, when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, we read something I think that is a bit jarring. Moses says, The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations. For the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you, were, when you complained at Massah. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. Then you will enter and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. You will drive out all the enemies living in the land just as the Lord said you would. Couched in the middle of two exhortations to obey God, to live rightly, to know Him, to cultivate habits, is this warning passage. And we find similar warnings all through the book of Deuteronomy that says, when things are really good, you're going to be tempted to look to those things and away from God. This is idolatry. And God says, don't do that. Don't trade me for the gifts that I give. Don't trade me for other things thinking they'll give you what only I can. And so I think it's important for you and I to take an inventory of our lives. To observe our lives in a deep way, not just, not just outwardly, but inwardly. To really observe, what are the things I care about? 
What are the things I hold most dear? What is it I love more than anything else? To identify the things that occupy our thoughts and our longings. And I don't think it's important that we only do it for ourselves. I think it's really easy to make that a very individual thing. But it's also a communal thing. As a church, what do we love and hold most dear? Is it Jesus? I hope so. But we better be careful that when everything's moving really great with the church, <laughs> that we don't find ourselves happy in the land and just content to say, wow, what we've done. <laughs> but rather always remember God, in our individual lives, in our families, and in our communities. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I think there are, are two pretty, like, it's one of those, Tim Keller is really helpful in this, um, in a book, Counterfeit Gods, he talks about this, but I think there are, are, are two things that I think are really important uh, in helping us to identify our, our idols. What moves you? What is it that gets you excited and out of bed in the morning? What moves you? And what upsets you the most? What frustrates you? What worries you? What agitates you? What irritates you more than anything else? And when we look at those two questions, you're going to find some surface things, right? You're going to find some things that maybe annoy you or things that irritate you, but they're not that big of a deal at the end of the day. It's saying, okay, once I identify those, let's look a little another layer deeper. Why does that annoy me? Why does that bother me? Or, or some goals or, or things we want to do with our lives. Is it bad to set goals for your life and want something? No, not at all. But again, looking a layer deeper and they say, but why? Why is that a goal? Why do I want that so badly? Again, not wrong to work hard for things. In fact, we should do our very best at things. But it's saying, let's take a look underneath there underneath the bonnet, have a look, you know, like, what's going on? Is it okay? And I think it's one of those places where we ask, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to take that look, to ask those questions. Because let's be honest, it's most likely you're not going to come out of this seeing as you're, you know, the terrible things that you've added, you know, that you have in your life that you need to get rid of is like, you know, a gambling addiction. I mean, that's possible. You know, I, I, like I know those are things that happen, you know, or, um, you know, alcoholism or drug use. Like for, for most of us, while that may be an issue, okay, I'm going to say it could be an issue. It's probably not. In fact, what we're probably going to find is a lot of good things. Things that aren't things that most people would go, yeah, it's not good to have a gambling addiction. Or, yeah, it's not good to be, you know, addicted to cocaine or whatever, you know, like, Right? Those are all things that we would kind of go, yep, shouldn't be doing that. Right? But then when we get to the other, there are, there's going to be things that we discover. And it's probably not going to be those, I assume. But it's going to be things like, it's going to be things like our finances. Especially this winter. How will I ever pay my heating bill? It's going to be things like our children. Like, you know what? I can't do community group because it's just... It's too important that I, you know, get my kids to some practice or, or whatever. Or, you know what, I can't, I can't come to church this Sunday because 
this thing is on, you know, this club is on for my kids and they really want to go, you know, or whatever. Like, and it's saying like, I have to keep them happy. I have to please them. They have to have the childhood I never had. And all of a sudden you go, wait, am I living vicariously through my children? Have I elevated them to a place that's unhealthy? Am I actually doing what is best for them? Or am I doing what I would want to do if I were them? And it's those moments where you go, oh, <laughs> um, maybe there was something there I didn't notice. This is what I'm talking about. Or maybe it's things like social standing or my appearance. How I look, you know that's not true, but like how I look <laughs> just matters so deeply to me that if somebody were to ever say something about my appearance, it would crush me. Again, that's probably not going to be the one I find underneath. Um, although, please don't call me ugly. I'll just say it. But, uh, I, still, I still wouldn't appreciate it. I'm just saying, like, um, but yeah, social standing. Do you know what? I'm going to raise my hand there. I like people to like me. It's been a struggle my whole life. I've gotten better at it. I like people to like me. Maybe, you're, maybe you have that problem. And you go, hold on. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I saying this because I think it's what people want to hear? Am I doing this because I think it's what people want to see? Is my ultimate goal in the end to please the people around me and, and keep up appearances? Right? These are the things we need to look at because they're much more commonplace. They're much more insidious, if you want to use a million-dollar word there. They're, they're much more like under the, under the surface. We don't see them because, do you know what? Is it a bad thing to please people? Is it a bad thing to have financial independence? Is it a bad thing to not have to worry about where, where your heating bill is going to get paid? Is it a bad thing to like want to look nice? No. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. Is it a bad thing to want to do really well in school? No. Those are, like, they're all good things. And that's why they're so tricky to see sometimes in our lives. And so I'd encourage you to have a look at this and to ask yourself, what are the things that tempt me to look away from God? What are the habits that I have in my life that reinforce these problems? And so how do we then become people who love rightly? If we're people who often love wrongly, who are tempted to love other things, who are tempted to chase after other things, how do we become people then who love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, who love people with all of our being? How do we become those people? This was something I, I know for me I was stuck with in my life. I'm going, how? How do I become that person who looks more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? How do I enjoy the blessings of God? This is why so much we've been talking about things like spiritual disciplines, why so often we've been talking about cultivating the right things in your life. It's because I want you guys to experience that life and life to the full that Jesus says he came to bring. So how do we do that? I think Deuteronomy, this whole idea of invited to know God, is one of the places where we even see before, you know, before God sent Jesus, he was already concerned about these things. He wanted people to be formed and to become the right people, people who love him rightly. And so Deuteronomy here spells out for us in verses 7 to 9 how we become people who love 
rightly. Repeat them again and again to your children, right? The commands that I'm giving you today, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this more, but I think a couple of things they're saying. Loving rightly, and this is kind of, I think, the, the overarching thing. Loving rightly starts with fixing our eyes on the right thing. That's God. <laughs> or as the author of, of Hebrews says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? We fix our eyes on the right thing. And as we fix our eyes on the right thing, we develop new habits that lead us to know Jesus and to be like him. I think it's interesting that Deuteronomy commands us to love. And this is one of those things, again, I think it's important to know. This is not, you cannot command mushy feelings. I don't know that I've ever tried that with Alyssa, but like, I, you can't command mushy feelings, right? You can't just be like, you need, to, you need to feel super in love with me right now at the moment, you know? And, and, and even there, I think we lack the language even when we're talking about mushy feelings to say it any other way than that, you know? Like, it's, it's like, but what we need to see is if Deuteronomy can command love, it's not saying that we always need to live in deep, you know, with like deep mushy feelings for God. You know what? We may have those at times like where we feel deeply connected, deeply in, in relationship with God, but we may have, we're going to have times where we don't. And we can still love God in those times. Because it's not merely an emotion, it is a commitment to God which generates corresponding action to his word. All right, think of John 14, 15, right? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Keep my commandments, okay? So this is a love that is a love in, of, of service. It is doing what, what is best for the other person. It is caring for the other person. And if we love God, we will live with him in relationship in a, where he gets to speak into our lives as a loving father, right? So that's what the first step, I think, in loving rightly is realizing it's not just a, we're not talking about just a mushy feeling. That it starts with fixing our eyes on Christ and then developing new habits that lead us to know Jesus and to be like him. So what I'm trying to get at here is this is, this is what we're talking about is sanctification, not salvation. And again, sanctification is one of those huge words, and I will always try and define it when I say it, is, is this idea. And this has always been helpful to me. It's the idea of loving God and sinning less. Right? So loving God more and sinning less. That's what sanctification is. And so when we're talking about these things like obeying God's commands, this is how I become somebody who loves God more. Right? It's not by just thinking more things about God, but it's about my whole heart. It involves thinking more things about God, but it is more than just thinking. <clears throat> it is a whole being of loving God. And so... Part of Israel's remembering, we find here, happened through daily habits. Through daily habits. We find instructions for some of those daily habits, and we read them, and again, we could be like, oh, you know, if we want to just be like completely literal, now all of a sudden we've got to start wearing weird things on our, on our heads, we've got to start writing stuff on our doorposts, we've got to tie things to our hands and, and wear them on our foreheads, we've got to... Uh, 
you know, like, I think the gist of what we find here, the gist of what we're reading, is specifically here about parents to children, but I think it's also relevant in any other sphere, is that parents ought to ingrain love for, their, for the Lord in children, always and everywhere. To raise up a child in the way they should go. Right? That that is the ideal. Now, that's not going to be the reality for every one of us. Many of us came to Christ from families that did not do that. Okay? It is possible. But if we want to set up our kids, and we want, and, and this, again, this speaks, I think, to single people, even if, as we're speaking about children. And I know Luke mentioned this last week is to say, see the kids in our church as, as, as people for you to pour into, as people for you to pour into, whether they're, they're your kids or not. Because we want to, as a community, train up our children to know Jesus. Not just to know rules or facts about Jesus, but to know Jesus and to experience Jesus. Okay? And so the gist of this passage really is about parents ingraining a love for the Lord in their children. And so he talks about some habits and things that they should do, right? But again, I think this has wider application than just specifically parents and children. But it's important to note that habits and rituals lead us to certain dispositions. And dispositions in turn are what shape our living. We're trained through the repetition of ritual, not only how to act, but actually how to feel. Do I feel sad in this moment? Like, if you've ever been with a child, you know, like there's always those, those moments where they do something and then they look to you like, what should my reaction be? You know, like, what just happened? Like, something just happened to me. I don't know what my reaction should be, right? And they look to you, right? There's, there's a way in which we train even how to feel in certain situations. It's not just about how to act, right? Think about chores. And I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's worth coming back to. The power of, of chores, right? It's not just about slavery. D despite what every kid thinks, it is not about like forced slavery from parents to children. Like, you know, like we somehow just had kids so that we would have extra hands around the house to clean up, right? That's nice, but that's not the reason we make our kids wipe the table and sweep the floor or whatever. We want to create people who have habits of responsibility, who chip in, who do things, but who also see the power of service, who feel the right things, who feel in the moment, I should serve, I should do the right thing. They become people who naturally do the right things. We're instilling values through things like chores. And so I think it's good, like even in, the, in our spiritual habits, to see them that way, that it's actually forming me into somebody. It's, it's training me to feel rightly, to love rightly, to know rightly. And I think it's really helpful then, because we all have like bad habits, right? We all have bad habits that have been formed in our lives. Dallas Willard, I think, really, really helpful. He was like really helpful for me in understanding this. He talks about what he calls the impulsive will, right? And he says, this is like how kids are, okay? I think about, I had a child that remained nameless who I had the hob on, I was cooking some food. He walked over, he looked at the hob and then put his finger on it. Surprise, surprise, he got a nice blister on his finger. 
And he was like, ah! You know, like, did he think about that? Nope. He walked over there and went, oh, it's glowing. That's cool. You know, like, <laughs> and he sauteed his finger. This is impulsive will. It's what I want to do in the moment. I don't think about it. I move towards things that are attractive, like, a, like you know, a moth to a lamp or, or whatever. Like, you know, it's like, it's like instinct. I want that. I'll just do it, you know, without thinking. He calls that impulsive will. And he says what happens is impulsive will over time and through repeated action becomes embodied will. It becomes what I just do automatically without thinking. So embodied will, let's think of it like this. You wake up, 3 a.m., you got to go to the bathroom. It's completely pitch black. You can't see anything. Do you need to turn on the light in order to get to the from your bed to the bathroom? Nope. Through repeated habit, you know exactly where things are. Now, if your child leaves something on the floor and you don't know, that could end really badly for you or your roommate or whatever, right? But like, you have a mental map in your mind. You don't need to think about it. You just get up and you walk, right? That is embodied will. I don't have to think about it, I just do it. And what Willard says then is these impulsive wills, without even thinking about it, over time become embodied wills. Now why is this important? Why is this relevant at all to our, our sermon? It's because he says those things are powerful. But if we want to change, it's going to come through what he calls reflective will, which means we have to think about it. If we want to change a habit, if we want to change what we're doing, we have to think about it. And so he says, reflective will, this thought through deliberate action where I say, I want to be more like Jesus, so I'm going to start doing these things in my life, he says, is reflective will. I have to think about it. But what he says is that over time, the reflective will can actually become embodied will. In other words, over time, I have to think about these good habits less and less, and eventually they become automatic. They come a part of who I am. And he says, that is Christian discipleship, right there. It's like, that's sanctification. That's, it's becoming like Jesus. It's adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. Because if we just rely on our reflective will, or sorry, our impulsive will, we can't expect great results. I don't think, like, I think so many of us just think we're automatically going to become more like Jesus because I, I said yes to Jesus once. And while we have the Holy Spirit, he speaks to us, our impulsive will is powerful. And if we don't engage our reflective will that says, actually, these things I want to do, like Paul talks about in Romans 7, these things I want to do are like, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. If we don't engage in battle with that, we will constantly be people who sit disappointed at who we're becoming in Jesus and wishing we had a deeper relationship with him, wondering why we can't hear him, why we can't feel him. Going, God, where are you? As we're touching a hob with our fingers and wondering why we get burned. And so we have to become people who cultivate these things in our lives so that over time, this reflective will, this purposeful, deliberate action becomes embodied will. And I think that's what we're seeing as we read Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
And so some of the things that I think we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what I just want to do is just spend a couple of minutes here briefly talking about the habits that I think we see in Deuteronomy 6, some of the habits that we can cultivate, some of the reflective will that we can engage in our lives. And to not see it as like, well, if I have to try to do it, it's not natural, it's not who I am. But to actually see reflective will as becoming the person I was always intended to be. All right, so here's some of the things that I think that we see that we can engage in and, and be a part of. The first thing is this, the habits that we can cultivate. We can cultivate the habit of listening. It hit me powerfully when I, when I read uh, verse 21. Then, oh, sorry, verse 20. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord, <clears throat> our God, has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them. I need to listen to the questions that people have. I need to listen to the questions that my kids have. I need to listen to the questions that your kids have. I need to listen to the questions of, of, of all of you guys in church and be slow to speak and quick to listen rather than just assuming I've got an answer for you straight away. And I think that sometimes, for people like me at least, who talk a lot, that can be a struggle to not be thinking up our answer while not really listening to what the other person is saying. What am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? Right? But to say, actually, I need to listen. I need to cultivate a heart that listens. I need to cultivate habits that listen, that listen to our leaders. Right? Verse 3. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. This is Moses saying, listen to what I'm saying to you. And he's saying, because it's coming from God, listen to what I have to say to you. Now, look, I am not Moses, okay? I recognize that I, I do hold a position of leadership in the church. I'm not Moses. It's not like I want you to blindly take whatever I say as gospel, walk away from it, and just accept it. I want, you know, we say we want you to ask questions. We mean that. And if I'm wrong on something, by all means, I want to humbly listen. Okay? Seriously, I mean that with all my heart. Okay? I'm not perfect, but... At the same time, it's listening to those who, who are in leadership. Or those, you know what, maybe it's even better to say, those who are farther along in the faith. It's not just me that you should listen to. There is wisdom in this church. There is wisdom in other Christians, and we need to listen to them. We need to be quick to listen. We need to be quick to listen to God, to cultivate habits of listening to God. And I know I've talked about this before, but again, as a person who talks a lot, it comes into my prayer life too. Can I be somebody who sits quietly and listens to God? Cultivating habits of listening. And as I said, I read verses 20 to 21, listening to others. Listen to their questions before I try and answer them. Which then leads me to verse 20 to 21 again. How are they to respond when the children ask these questions? Well, they should have been cultivating habits of storytelling. And they're ready to tell the story of God. Now, I'm not going to steal Luke's thunder. We're just going to say, all I'm going to say is this for next week. Cultivating habits of storytelling is important. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. Ad nauseum. Say it over and over. till so they have that story so memorized, there's no way they couldn't tell it if you asked them. Talk to them 
when you were at home and when you were on the road, when you were going to bed and when you were getting up. Guys, we gotta, if you're a parent in the room, you gotta be talking to your kids. Talking to your kids about Jesus now. If you're a grandparent, if you're whatever, talk to the kids. If you're somebody who helps with the kids, like if you, you see the kids running around in our church, talk to them. But again, I think this has a wider application. Don't just talk to kids, like talk to other people too. Be ready to tell the story of Jesus, right? That's 1 Peter, I think, uh, chapter 3, where he talks about be ready to give defense for the faith that you have. It's like be ready to tell the story of Jesus to explain to people the hope that you have. Why do you have hope? Why is life different? So we cultivate habits of storytelling. We tell ourselves the story. We've got to be storytellers to ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves, telling ourselves the story of Jesus over and over. Telling the story to others. Again, I'll let Luke handle the rest next week. But we need to be people then who cultivate two habits of reminder. Deuteronomy 6, 8 to 9, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, these are things that are to remind us of our identity. So here's a question. If somebody came into your house, would they know you're a Christian? Now, where I come from, we call some of this stuff Jesus junk. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, heard this phrase. Okay? It's not the nicest phrase, but there's a lot of like rubbish that you could buy to stick around your house. I'm not suggesting you go buy weird figurines and you know throw them up around your house or even there, like some of the like really corny stuff that you can find. Like, you know, I'm not necessarily suggesting you do that. But what I'm saying is there are things that we can do that serve as reminders to ourselves and that show even there when people walk in, they know we're, they know we're a Christian. Again, I'm not saying we have to be tacky and weird about it. But you know what? I went into a house one time where there was somebody living in the house who was uh, a committed, who was supposed to be a, a very strong committed Christian. Now they had a roommate as well. And in that house, the roommate had lots and lots of new age stuff. When I walked in that house, I knew there was someone who lived there that was deeply into New Age. But I would have never known that there was somebody living in that house that was a Christian. It's one of those, I go, why is that? Why would that be? You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we're like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, obviously your roommate didn't mind. You know, like, you know, it's one of those, like, I think, okay, to say, like, this is who I am. This reflects me. But again, I don't think it has to just be like meaningless rubbish hidden around our house. In our house, Alyssa painted this or drew, she does like calligraphy. It looks, it looks really nice. Okay, and that's what it is. And in our hallway, something I see every day that says, abide with me. Abide in me. Sorry, abide in me. And every time I walk by it, I'm reminded of John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And every time I walk past that, I'm reminded of it. It's simple. It's tasteful. And it reminds me every single time I walk past it. There is something to be said about things like that that are deliberate, that cultivate habits of reminder. 
Again, I'm gonna point to my wife because she, like, she on our, on our uh, mirror, every night when I brush my teeth, I see a psalm. It's written there on our, on our, uh, on our mirror. It's things like that. It's powerful. They were, they're reminders. They're reminders that point us to God. And finally, we cultivate habits of participation. All right, habits of participation. Right, we see a lot of participatory stuff here, right? Telling stories and, and even there as you read the law, right? You've got festivals and parties and all of this kind of stuff, right? Cultivating habits of participation. That's habits of communal worship. Like what we're doing right now, having church and communion, being part of a community group, praying together. You know, even there, like what we did yesterday for those of you who went to the Walk for Freedom. Like things like that, saying like as a group together, we're going to stand for justice, right? It's doing things like that. They say we do these communal habits of worship. We have habits of family worship. You know, I would encourage you, singing, praying, reading, taking a Sabbath, all of those things are, are communal things that, as, that families can do as a way of, of worship. Also, habits of individual worship. So for those of you who are not here with your families, right? These are things you can do as individuals. But you know what? If you've got friends who are Christians, they can be your family. <laughs> this church can be your family. You can do these things, these uh, praying and reading and singing. Like you can do it with other people. But also as individuals, we need to be people who pray, who read the Bible. Maybe find a really good podcast. I don't know. Singing. Fasting. There's all kinds of things that we can be cultivating in our lives. Habits of, of participation. And there's so much that can be said about that. Right? And that has been said from up here uh, about that. If you want, you could, you could go back to uh, previous series. And you know, we've talked a lot about these, these habits. But here's what I want to say, just finally, about the habits is that many of them are going to be awkward at first because they're reflective habits. They're not normal, natural habits. Like, they're not. But most good habits start out as difficult and awkward, right? The bad habits are the ones that come easy. Good habits are typically difficult and awkward at first until they become habits that are embodied habits, right? Okay. So here, let's just kind of wrap it up. How do we become people who love rightly? We center our whole selves on Jesus with all our heart and our soul. But this is only possible, and this is what I think is important, and I want to close here, because we've been talking a lot about doing things and a lot about cultivating habits. I've said it over and over. But it's important to remember that this is only possible because he loved us first because Jesus loved us first. John in 1 John 4:19 says, "We love because he first loved us." And guys, that is the reality. The God of the universe became man and demonstrated his incredible love for us. And so we read that there's going to be things that will tempt us to walk away. And those habits will help us to remain. But if those habits are not based on this fact that we love because he first 
loved us, then we will still struggle. This is the foundation. This is the cornerstone of our faith. We love because he first loved us. The love of Christ speaks to our hearts and our souls, speaks down to the core of our very being, of who we are as people. The gospel is the answer to our deepest longings and the life we were created for. And so as Christians, we come to that gospel over and over. We draw from that well of living water, the good news that Jesus has loved us first. And as we accept that and experience that love, we deliberately work on our habits to become the people who love rightly and experience God's love more and more in our life. We were made to be loved by God. We were made to love him. And as we embody that reality, we're changed. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Change is possible. If you're somebody who's like, man, I'm just not experiencing that life that I want. I don't feel close to God. I wish I knew God better. Or, you know what, I hate that like, I say I love God, but yet my life looks nothing like it. It's like, guys, we love because he first loved us. Change is possible because Jesus is alive. No matter the circumstance that we are in, we always have the ability to remember the love and the grace of our good and gracious Father shown to us, most especially in Jesus. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. I always tell myself I need to speed up at the beginning so that I have more time for the back end of the sermon, but it never works out that way. And then I love you guys too much to cut it short. I don't know. That's, that's how I'm going to view it anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pray for us, and, and then Melissa's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to sing another song, and, and at that point, then we'll, we'll take communion. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us and care for us.